Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, this is a, a rare night recording of the Kainos Project podcast. Yeah, that's what we do for excitement. So things are going to get weird are because they? it's late. And, you know, Thursday nights get wild here at the Kainos Project World Headquarters. It's evening and I'm on cold medication, so anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything. And anything has happened. That's actually what I want to talk about on this week's episode. Uh, I want to talk about revival because... Everybody on the internet is talking about revival right now, and they all have opinions, specifically about something pretty wild that's happening in Kentucky right now. And so on the morning of Wednesday, February 8th, which was eight days ago at the time of this recording, um, but it'll be almost two weeks by the time this this episode is released. So on February 8th, Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky which is a Christian university with an affiliated seminary, they held a chapel service. And I imagine that it was, you know, just like any other chapel service that they have, apart from one detail. It just has not ended quite yet. No, and it might still be going on by the time this podcast is released. It's certainly still going as we're recording this, and it's been over a week at this point. Yeah, it was a week ago yesterday. And so by the time this episode comes out, it'll be roughly two weeks. And so after this chapel was over the regularly scheduled programming, I guess, there were some some students who stayed back to pray, and then some music started happening, and then there was more prayer, and there was more people— And the chapel service just has not stopped since. And so uh, it's this pretty wild thing that's been happening. And uh, what's been going on at Asbury is becoming, you know, more and more of a national story as even like major news outlets have begun to cover it. And people from all over the country are flying and driving to Wilmore, Kentucky. Now, if you pulled up a map... I have no idea I would have no idea where Wilmore, Kentucky is, but it is... The place to be right now, apparently, where people from literally all over the country are pouring in by the thousands to kind of see what's happening with these people who are for hundreds of hours straight now, like straight through the night are having these, uh, it's it's kind of expanded to the different uh, chapel venues that they have on campus. Uh, where they're having just these ongoing prayer and worship and preaching, and there's people that are coming to faith. And so it's this really, you know, just crazy thing that's happening. And I've seen stories uh, of, of people describing their experience there, and I've seen just so many videos over the last eight days of just, you know, these packed out chapel buildings of people worshiping and praying. And this is what has uh, come to be dubbed the Asbury Revival. And as you might imagine, with all this that's going on, there are a lot of Christians who are excited. And if that's the case, then you might also imagine that there are a lot of Christians who are not excited (laughs) and who are skeptical and who are asking a lot of questions about it. Right. And the interesting thing about this, I mean, at this point, we're quoting it revival, right, Um, is Really, it's taken off on social media, I think, particularly on TikTok, probably because of the age of the students being in their early 20s. Like TikTok is their preferred platform. Um, but That's I was funny. Even, I've been following it on Twitter. I don't have TikTok. Well, what where it really I've been started watching to the grow. TikToks on Twitter. Exactly. You're <laughs> the old man. But where it started to grow was uh, from TikTok and Uh, something that's another part of the criticism and it's like, wow, it's really just the social media that's blown this up, but that doesn't change what's happening within the actual uh, services. And even, I think it was the president who said that they have absolute no interest of promoting this or publicizing this, that all of this promotion and publication of it has really grown from the students and the people involved in it. And then obviously you just see a ton of reposting of it. So it's it's interesting. The criticism is interesting. I have been shocked by the criticism. <laughs> um, the excitement is interesting. But that's really what we want to talk about today. Um, what is a revival? Is that actually what's happening in Asbury right now? Yeah, so we'll dive into that in just a moment. 
But look around you. Your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. So things are happening at Asbury University right now. And to quote an older lady from a church where I used to be a pastor, people are talking. And so as news of what has been happening uh, has spread on social media, there have been, you know, people weighing in with their thoughts. We were waiting for them to weigh in. We wanted to know what they were thinking, and they said, don't you worry. I have a 25-tweet thread that I that's coming right your way. And so there's been people who have been, you know, giving out the standard, quote, cautions, uh, mostly cessationist theologians. They've been saying things like, if it's authentic, and urging, quote, discernment. And uh, they started giving criteria of what a real revival looks like so that we don't call this a revival if it's not really one. Right. So they're trying to define what is revival. And people are even saying things like Bethel has a really long worship service all the time, but that doesn't mean that the spirit is moving. Obviously, that's just a knock on Bethel in (laughs) many number of ways. But uh But they're also noting all the ways that they disagree with Bethel Church's theology. And so a lot of the definitions of revival that we're seeing coming out are really a support of turn away from your theological camp and turn towards mine because mine is the correct theological camp. And if it really is revival, then you would be uh, recanting your own theological camp and joining mine. Yeah, there was this one tweet that I thought was funny where someone said, daily reminder that if a revival is a genuine revival, they will embrace, by God's grace, my personal theological and political convictions. And that's pretty much what we're seeing. So these people who are saying like, um, you know, Bethel can have a long worship service that's not a revival and so they've been setting up their criteria to say like okay unless this happens this is fake and uh, the and most of it has revolved around like people need to be repenting of their sins in order for this to be a revival uh, and some of them have even gotten like really specific with the things that they think people should be repenting from in order for this to count as a revival and some have said that they like these folks need to repent of certain doctrinal views in order for this to be a revival so asbury it's a wesleyan school and so there are some who are saying that if it's a real revival that we'll start to see these students repent of their views of egalitarianism and arminianism which are kind of features of of wesleyanism and methodism which is kind of funny like if it's a real revival, you'll start to look more like a, a Calvinist complementarian. Right. And it's it's really just defining it based on whatever theological category you are operating in and saying, I won't admit the spirit is moving over here because you are out of a different theological camp than I am. Which sounds just wildly self-important. And it's actually been fascinating to me that there have been a number of what are like called um, discernment bloggers uh, who have ended up going down to Asbury, not so much to participate in what's happening, but to see if it's real or not. They're going for investigating purposes. Right? Yeah, so yeah. this discernment blogger thing is kind of like this whole like cottage industry where these folks, these online personalities, they'll kind of build their platforms solely on kind of taking down uh, church scandals and exposing leaders and such. So they kind of fancy themselves as investigative journalists, um, only like 
with an agenda, kind of. And so uh, this was kind of another day at the office for them to see what they could see by way of possible hypocrisy or scandal or heresy or whatever it might be. So you see, like these like grumpy curmudgeons who are cynical about everything, like taking selfies where like behind them, like people are like raising their hands in worship <laughs> and they're just have a straight face. So that that's an interesting wrinkle there. And there's been critiques that have become more intense uh, when like certain revivalists and other preachers have announced they're like, Oh, I'm going to go where the spirit goes to visit Asbury. Let me get my map and figure out where that is first. And some of them, they could rightly be characterized as prosperity preachers. And so that's added a whole nother wrinkle. So some theologians have begun to argue that, okay, if this revival is real, there's a lot of like, if this, if this revival is real, if this revival is real, uh, then these prosperity preachers, when they enter the chapel, if the Holy Spirit is really there, they will be so grieved by the Holy Spirit that the prosperity preacher, by virtue of getting into the building, will be so grieved that he will either need to vacate the premises or change his theology wholesale. Otherwise, it's not a real revival. Because that's the way that transformation happens. Exactly. It's always like the story of uh, Paul and his transformation where he was so immediately changed in all of his ways and, and never went back to those things ever again. Right. And then there was also a concern that um, some of these kind of big Christian names, these influencers, prosperity preachers, revivalists, whoever, uh, just by virtue of them having a platform, that there was a concern that they would be given a platform in the in the chapel and they would kind of co-opt it for whatever kind of agenda that they have and that, you know, it would be revealed as a sham, ipso facto, not a revival. Uh, but for their part, and uh, this is kind of cool, the administrators at Asbury have been like really protective of the space. Um, basically, everybody's welcome, but only the like the people who are leading worship and preaching and on the stage, it's the students and the faculty who would have been doing it under any other normal circumstance. And, you know, the people that do it week in and week out and the people through whom this whole thing kind of started, those are the people that are going to continue to be, you know, at the forefront of this. And so they've been really protective of that, which has been kind of cool. Uh, but in other places, I've seen some conservative Christians express that uh, unless this revival sort of results in an emphasis on like particular social and political agendas that are important to them, then guess what? It's not a revival. It's not a revival. It feels like a like a like a Jeff Foxworthy joke or something. It's not a revival. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many. Uh, I mean, like so probably most notably, uh, conservative commentator Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA. He made his way down and was in attendance at one point. And, you know, he kind of has a very specific set of parameters for what it means to live as a Christian in America to the fullest extent of what that means. And his particular parameters and vision for that um, exclude large swaths of the American church um, and, and just various traditions and things like that, whether it's, you know, this whole emphasis on being anti-woke or advocating for small government as a, a part of your faith platform or et cetera. And so there's just a lot of this kind of like, unless this revival makes you a better Republican or unless this revival makes you more Calvinistic or unless this revival makes you more complementarian or, or whatever it might be, then it's not a real revival unless you kind of become more theologically like me, then the spirit must not be moving because the spirit moved in me and I look like this. So if you don't look like me, then you don't look like the spirit. Yeah. And I've even seen people were saying like, Hey, this, is a revival because it just has acoustic guitars, a piano, very non-charismatic speakers. Like it's very uncessationalized. So therefore it must be a revival. And so really you have people on all ends of the spectrum either claiming it's a revival for this reason. Look, it's not glamorous. It's not exciting. There's no projectors. There's no fog machines. So because all of that is not present, it must be the Holy Spirit moving because who would want to be there? Um, or you have people on the other end that are saying, well, unless people are, you know, repenting of their sin, particularly their theological um, backgrounds and their doctrine, 
then it's not a revival. So everyone is weighing in from every different angle of this thing. And it's really quite shocking how many people who are on... Have opinions? Well, <laughs> well have opinions. That they and- so freely share. Yeah, but not only that. So generous with their opinions. But people who are on completely polar opposites of the spectrum in their theology are calling it not a revival or yes, a revival, or just in terms of church philosophy and church practice. Like everyone has an opinion on this and you can't really put it all into one category. Yeah. So we've kind of covered everybody kind of on the right end of the spectrum who's saying that this isn't a revival, but then you look to your left And there's a whole other wing of people who have a different set of criteria for what makes a revival. Uh, And we'll talk about that, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, so we have the people on one side who are saying, unless you become a a Calvinist and a complementarian and you punch prosperity preachers in the face, then this is not really a revival. And that's kind of the people more on the right side of the spectrum. Uh, But then you have people on the other end of the spectrum uh, with a separate set of cautions from a more kind of progressive wing of evangelicalism or the the Protestant world. Um, And so some have started saying that unless this, you know, Holy Spirit experience uh, that has moved in the students... Uh, unless that pushes them, uh, you know, the school specifically and evangelicalism generally in the region, unless it pushes them towards a more LGBTQ plus affirming and inclusive point of view, then it isn't a real revival, which is an interesting take. It's, it's like that's the opposite end of like, um, unless you become a Calvinist, then this Holy Spirit isn't moving. Unless you become a gay affirming, the Holy Spirit isn't moving. Like not like the, the, those are not that that doesn't follow. Right. Yeah, and even within that camp, there are people who are noting that this is a majority white school in Kentucky. I mean, it's Kentucky. Right, where slavery was enshrined in the state constitution in 1792. And this happened despite not one, but two great awakenings that preceded the ratification of the state constitution. So this was still happening within uh, Kentucky. And then after slavery was abolished... Not by the will of the people, but as a result of the Civil the bayonet, War. The yeah. Yeah. Kentucky had a Jim Crow regime for another hundred years after the Civil War. Although it is worth noting that Francis Asbury, whom who the, the school, school is, is named after, right? and who is sometimes referred to as the father of American Methodism, um, he was actually a key figure in the Second Great Awakening, I felt like he was kind of a dovetail character from the first Great Awakening to the the second Great Awakening um, in the late 18th century into the early 19th century, um, and he was he was an interesting cat because while he hated slavery and held that you know if you own slaves if you were a slaveholder if you enslave people that you were disqualified from membership in a Methodist church, 
He also was not for social activism. And so he wasn't really a political agitator either. And so it would probably strain the word to say that he was an abolitionist. Um, but he certainly wasn't pro-slavery, and he didn't think that you could be a good Christian and uh, support the the system of chattel slavery in the South. Nevertheless, some folks are saying that you know unless this revival resort results in uh, you know a widespread decentering of whiteness and a renewed vision for racial justice, then it is not a real revival. And that, you know, they've pointed out that, you know, that's what's been missing from revivals of yesteryear. Um, And I think that's a fair assessment. Like, when we look at specifically, say, the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening um, in North America, which was centered largely on the ministries of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, who were both pro-slavery. And Jonathan Edwards has been getting a lot of notoriety these days his name you know crops back up every here and there as people you know let's celebrate jonathan edwards and people like he owns slaves like and then there's this whole conversation that we we have every so every you know few months on twitter along with the uh whole david and Bathsheba debate that crops up pretty much quarterly right yeah so um but what was interesting this is like a legitimate point so when you think about, you know, Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God and he's talking about how, you know, the revival is happening and people are coming to Jesus. It's kind of like, yeah, like people like drank less and cussed less and they went to church more and they stopped beating their wives and their slaves. But like they still upheld this horrible atrocity that was American chattel slavery. So like, yes, point taken on that one. I think it's less of a fair assessment when we look at the Great Awakenings in Britain, which were pretty fiercely abolitionist. And John Wesley, um, you know, he didn't live to see slavery abolished in Britain, which happened in 1833. He died in 1791. Um, but he was a key voice in that abolitionist movement in Britain. And not only him, but just the the entire m- movement uh, that he had uh, created, not created, that he had led, um, that was really this, this, this act of a revival that happened. So, I mean, there's definitely like some, some nuance to, you know, that story as well. Yeah. And there is something there, but then to, uh, immediately say something's not a revival because it's not, uh, wiping out the history of an entire state and it's not moving the state in a completely different direction, I think is to limit what God is doing among the hearts of people um, just because it's not changing the uh, social justice movement in the way that you want it to change that thing. And it's the same thing we see on the other side, right? Where just because it's not moving people towards a um, a doctrinal direction that we want to see them go, uh, to classify it as, well, then therefore it's not a revival, is really looking through things um, through your own lens and your own perspective. And rather than actually trying to assess, is God actually doing something here just because it doesn't check the boxes that I wanted to check? Right. But the long and the short of it, as we scroll through the internet, um, is that based on how people are feeling, is it seems there's quite a few ways in which what's happening at Asbury can be disqualified from being a revival in people's eyes. And everybody's working from a different definition of what a quote-unquote real revival actually looks like. So I wanted to take a few moments and talk about like what is a revival and how do we know that we're witnessing one and really like who gets to like decide who gets to adjudicate God and the way he moves in the world. Like everybody thinks that they have the answer of of, like how God gets adjudicated in the way that he moves in revivalistic fashion. Yeah, I had read a quote that uh, somebody said and 
uh, it was, don't worry, revival will continue with or without someone actually calling it a revival. God is not hindered by keyboard revival theologians while he pours out his spirit. It's like, I know, but yeah, like God's got to stay on top of the SEO, you know? Yeah, what I mean? exactly. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about uh, probably the best way to wrap our arms around this is just to kind of like evaluate like how do uh, Christian historians, church historians kind of identify like, oh, this thing that happened was a revival. Like what are the common attributes that are going to be there? And I think in all of the above like cautions and if it's authentics, like all of those elements were present um, but just not all together. It was just like some people emphasize some more than others. So uh, generally speaking, in a revival, there's they're going to take a particular shape and uh, they're, they're going to tend to include things like an increased religious fervor and enthusiasm for prayer, Bible study, and corporate worship. Check. That's happening in Asbury. It's going to be uh, an increased emphasis on personal holiness. I don't know. I don't live with these people, so I, I can't tell. Um Renewed enthusiasm for evangelism. It appears so. It appears that there's some some people that are coming to faith. Uh, an increased attention paid to injustices and hardships experienced by those in your community and in your nation. And again, like that, we don't know like uh, if that's happening now. And even if there is something stirring uh, in that way, we won't know for like weeks and months. So at the end of the day, like if you're a church historian and you're and you're sitting down to evaluate, like is what's happening at Asbury University a revival the question is well wait and see it, it, it could be weeks it could be months it could be years before we could see is this thing just going to kind of fizzle out or is it going to have some kind of sustained movement to it that will result in the transformation not only of this school it's going to re- result in you know mass evangelism or you know growth of of people who are coming to faith and uh, it's going to have some social implications, you know, what those would be. Um, it's really kind of up to, you know, what's happening in, in Wilmore, Kentucky right now and uh, what, you know, are people connected to and what are the, uh, you know, needs and injustices that they're seeing that the church can rise to. Right, because the revival isn't just about a bunch of people staying in a room for days and days and days on end and praying and worshiping although that's not nothing that no absolutely that's part of it but out of that out of that prayer and coming before the lord and this renewness and this um like a fresh look at the gospel then comes the bearing of fruit afterwards and we are in the midst of the holy spirit moving And so we won't really begin to see the fruit of that, the fruit of people sitting in the presence of God and actually uh, just wanting to skip everything. I mean, some people were even noting that uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday and people were still praising and worshiping and still hadn't left. I mean, you really got to be feeling some kind of way. I mean, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. You missed the Super Bowl. You missed the He Gets Us ads. Yeah. There was a, you miss Rihanna. You don't even know like what it is that you're supposed, like what you're supposed to be outraged about. Like you missed it. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't be out. You have to have second, second degree outrage at this point. You have to get it from, you know, people talking about what they're outraged about. You have to get it from Twitter. Exactly. But, Twitter will tell you. They'll yes. let you know. But out of this, you know, days on end of worshiping and this renewing of faith or coming to faith will bear fruit at some point down the road, but we won't see any of that until that point in time comes and we're just not there yet. So people are already already trying to call it and it it's not really done. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's been a week. I mean, it's been a pretty crazy week, but it's been a week. Yeah. I mean, noteworthy, certainly. Yeah. A, 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 a town doesn't change in a week. There's just, you know, if this is a something... Then it's just the beginning of something. Maybe, but the early signs of it being something are there. Like, when was like the last time you heard about people driving hundreds of miles or through the night just to be in the room where people were praying and singing 
And it wasn't like Elevation Worship worship or Chris Tomlin or Michael W. Smith. It was was just like these 22-year-olds with an acoustic guitar and a djembe and just singing, you know, whatever songs are in their repertoire. And like people are driving through the night to get to this where, where, you know, a bunch of kids are doing this. Yeah, like they're not, not to say 20-year-olds can't be good at things, um, but like but just they our, haven't refined. We've all refined, been to like yeah. the young adults ministry at a small church. <laughs> this is that. That's basically the level of production we're talking about here. Yeah, I continued to go to that because you were the preacher of that. So uh, that was more of an obligation for me to go than something that I wanted to actually do. But you're right. There are people who are buying one-way tickets to go and be part of what is happening here. And certainly you can say it's probably the draw of the moment and, you know, the excitement. Um, And people might be cynical and say, well, that's not really anything happening. People are there for the show. But what we're trying to say is the show is not anything you would buy tickets for. Right. It's not like these big names or this, you know, quality artists and uh, charismatic speakers like what people are actually saying when they show up is like you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily show up here unless it was a move of the spirit right like there's like hundreds of people at 3 a.m praying like anybody who's been in church leadership a day in your life knows how hard it is to get people to service at 8 (laughs) a.m right and they're not praying they're sleeping they're snoozing (laughs) they're bored but yeah. these people in the dead of night are like gathered and singing and praying. And so there's something supernatural happening in that regard. I don't think there's any denying, you know, that aspect of it. Right. But again, will there be long term effects that are widespread uh, and culture forming? Like we just don't know yet. Yeah. And it kind of seems like a lot of pressure to put on a bunch of 22 year olds who just, you know, they 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 felt a leading of the Holy Spirit and it ballooned into something um, that they've probably never experienced before and is really cool. And, um, you know, they're going to keep it going as, as long as, you know, they can, I would imagine, just as, you know, staying in the pocket of, you know, whatever's happening uh, at, at the school. And really, like, if that's all it ends up being, like, isn't that, like, still, like, a pretty good thing? Like, mm, like yeah. even if they don't single-handedly end abortion or racial injustice in Kentucky or America, like, isn't it still, like, a really good thing that, like, they, like, all these students were impacted by the fact that everybody was praying and singing for a week straight, 24 hours a day? Yeah, we have so like, many critics. Like, isn't that like cool enough? Yeah, we have so many critics about the next generation, right? Like, what is happening in this next generation? What is going to become of our world from this next generation? And yet, when there's some kind of a movement coming out of the next generation, we just want to be critical and throw stones at it instead of being in awe of the way that God is moving in the hearts of the young people, in the hearts of the next generation, and being excited about what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for this community in Kentucky? And what does this mean for the influence of this generation among their peers? And hopefully even the influence of this generation among older generations like ours like we should be excited with hey, them hey, hey. whoa 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 we older are generations old. like gen xers okay, okay we are old um but we should be excited even if um even if it's just that a bunch of young people are worshiping and praising the lord and reading the bible and drawing closer to jesus like that's still an exciting thing right yeah like we sit in our churches all the time and complain about the young people ain't doing nothing. And where are all the young people? And how do we attract the young people? And like the young people are out here doing stuff. No, they're not. It's not real. Yeah, it's not. If if they were doing it, then they would become a complementarian and all the all the women would drop out of the classes <laughs> and, <laughs> and go home and cook dinner. <laughs> they wouldn't be up till 3 a.m. Right. Yeah. Nothing good happens after 3 a.m., especially if you're a woman on a campus with (laughs) books. Come on now. (laughs) But what I want to know is like why so many Christians seem to have like a really like vested interest 
in this not being a revival. Like, there are so many Christians who are trying to say that this isn't a revival. And what's interesting is that the assortment of them end up on polar opposites of various issues, and in many ways and in many times hate each other. And they have all these different reasons for reaching this same conclusion, but they all agree that they don't want it to be a revival. Why? Why are people so invested in that? Probably because people are just critical and cynics. Like, that's that's a huge piece of it, right? Like, people just want to be critical. And you recently wrote an article about just the cynicism that continues to um, to go on within the church and within the evangelical Christian movement in general. Yeah, I wrote about it uh, in regard to what's happening in Asbury right now and also the He Gets Us campaign, which has, you know, it's been much maligned. You know, it's this $100 million um, evangelistic ad campaign, and it, it's been going on for about a year, but um, it culminated in these Super Bowl ads to just vociferous... Uh, just hatred from Christians. A lot of the non-Christians in the South are like, hey, that's kind of cool. Like, this is like, what's this, this is Jesus thing going on? And it's actually kind of been effective to them being like curious of like, well, maybe I'll talk to my friend who's a Christian because, you know, this whole, you know, Jesus gets us and, you know, the things that are valuable to him that Jesus loves the people you hate. Like, that's kind of interesting. Like, I, I'm, my interest is peaked. I'm curious. Meanwhile, the Christians are like, this is a waste of money, or right. this is watered-down theology, or blah, 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 blah. Do you know what you could have done with, how much money did they spend on those Super Bowl ads? Yeah. I know, I've heard, I mean, it's I, pretty... I heard someone say that Judas made that same argument a couple of times to Ooh. Jesus. <laughs> you know how many poor people we could have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a saying. But yeah, I think uh, just all of that, us wanting to, anytime somebody's trying to do something important or uh, something good seems to be happening in the life of the church, um, I think so many of us are just like so beat up at this point that it's just like a natural like defense mechanism to just try and shoot it down. I And we honestly have like pretty good reasons to be cynical. Like if you... Um, look at the headlines, like even just once a week, whether it's, you know, us living through a pandemic where it's like reality itself is in question or just the politics that are so like tribal and divisive or um, looking within the church of like sex scandals and uh, clergy sex abuse, you know, across every denomination from Catholic all the way down to Baptist and, uh, you know, just like, you know, racial injustice or, and even the fact that, um, if you are in, in a white evangelical space, like, and you're in a position of leadership in order for you to even speak to racial justice, you have to be willing to forfeit your influence entirely. And so you're like, in many cases for pastors, financially disincentivized, uh, certainly socially disincentivized from even speaking to it, let alone doing something about it. And so, you know, take your pick on whatever thing is making you cynical. Um, and all of that's really legitimate. And, you know, we speak about those things a lot because we're concerned about those things. We write about those things. We think about those things. We talk about those things. Um, but I think at a certain point, like we do have to like look in the mirror and say like maybe they're like the problem isn't only all those things, uh, but maybe the problem isn't that God uh, can't move, but for whatever reason, maybe we, like we don't want Him to move anymore. Which sounds like counter to. Of course, we want God to move, right? But it's like we've seen the devil move so much. Mm. And then we want God to move in the ways that course correct that specifically that our minds are set on. And if he's not fixing that thing, then it's not God moving. Right. And it's just a lot more comfortable to lob rocks at anyone trying to do something good or experiencing something pure and good and beautiful than it is to, you know, do anything else. And people become critical of anything that gains mass attention anything that is um, popular or highly um, publicized because if it's big, then it's not God, which 
really sounds pretty counterintuitive because do we not serve a big God? But I guess some people believe that he can only move in like small spaces. And it's not to say that he's not moving in those ways too, but why can't he move in multiple ways? Why can't he move in in the big ways that, that are highly publicized? And why can't he move in the small little communities that maybe no one's ever going to hear about. Right. And I think like, um, just like all those things of like, on maybe like uh, prayers for restoration or course correction of certain things that you haven't seen. And also just having been around the block a while and experienced, you know, hurt within churches and just hurt within life. Like, you kind of start to get like a little bit like crusty, you know, and, <laughs> and cynical and cynical. And you just like look at these kids in Kentucky who are like, you know, maybe in like the, the cage stage of their faith. And they're just these young 20 year old idealists who have, you know, the benefit of youth to carry them along. And of course, they want to sing at 3 a.m. When you're 20 years old, you're going to live forever and you haven't been hurt yet. And so like, yeah, maybe like maybe some of that's true. But, like, is that even a bad thing? Like, just because, like, you're old and grumpy, that doesn't mean that you're more spiritually mature. Hmm. I mean, particularly not when, like, Jesus told us, like, the kingdom of God belongs to those who have a faith like a child. Um, Yikes. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, you think about college campuses. I was attended a Christian university, and that's where you have the most excitement for people to go on missions trips. And obviously we can talk about... Uh, the downside of that too of short-term missions and all those types of things but there is this excitement there's this zeal there's this passion that for some reason kind of seems to fade away because we want to rationalize and make um, the most logical decisions about what we're doing with our faith where maybe younger people they don't have to be so rational and logical um because it feels like they have nothing to lose. But to understand that the moving of the spirit is only based on um, your age category and what is comfortable is to miss the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not to say that God is not logical and rational, um, but it is to say that God's going to call us to do uncomfortable things and to step outside of certain comfort zones. And I think younger people are more willing to do that than older people because it it's just easier for any number of reasons. Yeah, so you can look at them and be like, well, they're just kids. Well, God uses kids all the time. And I mean, so look at the Bible. Yeah, we just have to move past that cynicism if we can. I think the other reason that people seem to be rooting against revival, Christians seem to be rooting against revival, which seems so strange, is I think, um, and I was thinking about this a lot today, I think it's it's partly owing to the fact that we're like way too deep in our own echo chambers because revival is really it's about Jesus obviously that's got to say that first otherwise ding, people ding, are going to get me but it's it's about unity it's not uh, about one person having um some kind of supernatural experience that draws them closer to God it's about a group of people having a supernatural experience that draws them closer to God and to each other and so re- there is no revival without unity where and sometimes you need the unity to be there in order for the revival to happen, and sometimes the revival revival happens, and then the unity, you know, births from it. Um, but regardless of which side of the divide you're on, um, a lot of people have some pretty bitter reasons not to want unity with other people who are Christians, and so instead of reaching across the aisle, a lot of times what we we do is instead of trying to reach and create the largest amount of unity with the most number of different types of Christians that we can, we instead kind of turn away from that and we focus inward on the people who are clustered together most closely with us. And then we go to work uh, focusing on the purity of that smaller subset. And so that's how you can get to people saying ridiculous things like the mark of true revival is that you'll become a Calvinist and a complementarian. Because to you, in the purest form of your tribe, the people at the dead center of your your small orb of influence, like that's that's what they they look like. The true Christian is the Calvinist complementarian as a first tier qualifier. 
And then, you know, maybe on the other side, those who, you know, rightfully have fought so hard for racial justice in Christian spaces. Um, I've sensed, not from not from everybody, um, but from a, a, a few select voices, that they seem to think that a movement of people who are inspired towards personal piety and Christian devotion and uh, evangelism, that it's devoid of God unless they also take on a very specific vision for racial justice and just like eat the whole elephant on that in one day. Right. And they often think, well, great. They did this thing that like moved towards it, but they didn't go far enough. Right. Uh, They didn't go deep enough into solving the issues of racial justice. So therefore the efforts that they did make don't actually count. They don't actually matter because they should have gone further. And therefore God must not really be doing something in their life. Right. Yeah. And obviously for, you know, for both of us as people who are concerned with racial justice and who have, you know, honestly our own misgivings about the history and the state of white evangelicalism, um, we're obviously not trying to diminish the dire need for a new vision for racial justice in the American evangelical church. But it is to say that personal piety and evangelism, even within that broken system, it's not nothing. Okay. Like it's not, it's not nothing. Um, and I think we just have to like, it, it can, and I think making those, um, concessions, uh, to say that like, Okay, so this person on the other side has a different ideological framework than I do, but they're a Christian, and we believe in, you know, the triune God, and that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that he brings about transformation and redemption. We have all those similarities. Um, It can feel like, surprise, surprise, a death to self to reach across and have unity with the Mm -hmm. people on the other side of those. I mean, honestly, I feel that sometimes like when someone is like way on the other end of the spectrum in terms of like, I'm like, dang man, like, I don't know if you're like reading the same new Testament I'm reading, but like, you know, on the foundational things we agree, but like, you know, just a lot of things that are really important to me and are really important to them. We disagree. A lot of times it feels like, you know, a death to like, you know what? Like I really have to like lay this down in order to be unified with them. But I think in order for there to be, a real revival, then that's kind of the kind of thing that we need to see. And what keeps us from that is our echo chambers, which, you know, we tend to put ourselves in naturally, but then amplify that with the algorithms of social media platforms. And, you know, there you have it. So really we have to be in community, like flesh and blood physical community with people who think different from us, that it's really going to curtail a lot of our more radical impulses that will be cultivated online right because you have to put like flesh and bones on uh people who have different opinions and we can't just leave it up to uh, a tweet that you read or something that was shared and it really is devoid of any kind of human interaction so when you are in intentional community with people who have different views from you it forces you to learn how to like lay down self yet again and do that for the sake of the love that you have for somebody else, even though they are on a completely different end from you. And it doesn't mean that you change your view necessarily. Um, Maybe you make space for that opportunity for that. Um, But at least you are entering into that relationship to try and be unified because the greatest thing that can unify any of us is Jesus himself and we need to constantly be going back to that and knowing that this is what makes the body of Christ so unique is the amount of diversity that we can have, not only in racial backgrounds and cultural backgrounds, but also in some very deep theological views as well. Yeah, I mean, and probably a good litmus test is whether you have friends that other people in your quote-unquote tribe are uncomfortable with you being friends with. Mm, yeah. Even though everybody in the situation is a Christian, the people who are, you know, on my, you know, political team are uncomfortable with the fact that I'm friends with someone on that political team, even though we're all Christians. Like if there's no friction in that in that in your life, then like maybe like you're probably in an echo chamber in all the ways, both online and in, in real life. Um but all that to be said, I don't think uh 
it's really up to us to put the weight of the world on these poor students in Wilmore, Kentucky, which I still don't know where Wilmore, Kentucky is. I'm going to have to look at a map after this. <laughs> uh, I don't think we need to scrutinize them and pick them to death about like what they do or don't do in their revival. Hey, listen, it's their revival, okay? Let them do it the way that they're going to do it. <laughs> And we'll we'll pick up the pieces and we'll, we'll let the historians worry about it later. Um, but the fact of the matter is that for you know, as many uh, of us who are talking about this, only a few number of us are actually there, and most of us aren't going to be there. And so um, we're not in the room, but it appears that Jesus is in the room and the Holy Spirit's in the room. Um, so I think we can trust him to sort it out for us. Hmm. Yeah, and it's easy for us to criticize from afar, but like you said, we are not the people that are actually there, and what gain is it for us to sit on the outskirts criticizing something that God is is probably doing among um, a group of the next generation? Right. I mean, if you got nothing better to do, I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> the way it seems, right? But our pri- our time would probably be better spent if we just were like celebratory and thankful for uh, what appears to be you know some young people who are experiencing a fresh new uh, presence of of God um, and just you know pray that they would respond in faith to the way that they're uh, being led by the Holy Spirit and that that would make them look more like Jesus and that the church in Wilmore, Kentucky and beyond would be the better for it. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.